Hello and welcome to the Carton Blue Inside Bodymore preview show for Everton versus Aston Villa this Sunday. I'm your host, Dan Rowenson, littered with internet connection problems, joined by John Townley, who is crisp and clear and going to be doing a lot of the talking this afternoon. John, how are you? Doing well, thanks, mate. Looking forward to Everton this weekend. Um, good chance for Villa to go joint top. Looking forward to the weekend. Birthday weekend as well for myself, Dan. So that's Is uh, it? Oh, I should a, know. A, subplot, a subplot for me. A birthday three points for John Towney is something we all absolutely love to see. No doubt Unai Emery is working towards that goal this weekend in his preparation. Um, John, you went to see Unai Emery this afternoon. Did he wish you a happy birthday in advance? <laughs> no, no, no. Oh, no he, he certainly didn't. Unai's fine. He's um, probably refreshed after a little break. I say a little break. They had a week off, didn't they? And then they've got a break coming up again. So this January period is quite a... Um, you know, they've gone and played a lot of games in the last four months or something, the first four months of the season. And there's going to be a lot of games to play, hopefully if they go far in Europe from, you know, February, March onwards that time. I was actually looking at the fixture list earlier with uh, a couple of the reporters at Bodymore Heath earlier today, and we were looking at it and thinking like, wow, with this, I think from the quarterfinal to the semifinal of the European ties, there's like one week separating those games. Mm. Uh, which just shows how hectic it's going to get if Villa are uh, doing well, which is what we want. We want the games, but um, yeah, the rest period that we're going to get this month and after the Everton game, going into Chelsea away on the Friday night in a couple of weeks, um, that will be needed. Yeah, absolutely. I will apologise for those that are watching this. My connection is not good. Um, And the Everton preview that I've recorded earlier today I think the internet in my area must be down because the connection in that wasn't great. The audio should be good, so this is maybe one that you can listen to rather than physically watch. Um, John, just the rest of the presser as an overall, any kind of like standout lines for you this afternoon? Yes, I think the main main topic of conversation, and we might speak about it later as well, is um, the kind of FFP uh, mm-hmm. situations kind of bubbling around at the moment with different clubs. And I say we'll speak about that later, but the kind of um, the alternative to that, I suppose, is the best line would probably be. Una talking about transfers at the moment, it's a one in one out policy at Villa. So he revealed that I mean we knew it already, we've already reported that uh, Bertrand Troy and Callum Chambers will both be allowed to leave the club this month. Um but only then will Villa be able to actually bring in players, not necessarily because they're kind of you know, strapped of cash or whatever. It's not that and they're not too close to FFP. That's not the issue. I think it's mainly the um, you know, different squad rules you've got in the Premier League as well and um different things like that so it's yeah one in one out I don't know if it'll be a you know Callum Chambers leaves and Villa bring in a, another centre-back I don't know if anything I'd probably doubt that it would just be another slot in the squad um, elsewhere and Traore as well obviously his AFCON his contract's running and running up soon um, so yeah I wouldn't be surprised to see either of them leave but will Villa get decent fee for either I highly doubt it if you know they just need to get off the wage book really that's the um that's the key at this point and Emery also said that there'd be maybe potentially a couple of others that could leave but that's based on different things um obviously John Duran is a player whose future is is uncertain I suppose this month but at the same time Emery um spoke about him and he mentioned that or he almost inferred that he wants him to stay and that he's happy for him to, you know, he's got no issue if he remains as the club's second striker. I don't think Villa are kind of actively looking to replace Duran. I think it's if an opportunity comes up to, uh, an opportunity comes up to recruit a player who can mm. play back up to Watkins that's more experienced or um, is of better quality than Duran right now, then maybe they'll, you know, pursue that. But 
Um, at the moment, Unai is happy with Durant. He said that he's kind of taking experiences uh, playing under him. He's important because he's the second striker in the squad and obviously Villa have got a lot of games as I mentioned earlier. So um, those are the kind of the key lines, I suppose, other other than injuries as well. Yeah, let's go on to injuries straight away. Nice little segue from you. Pau Torres and Yuri Tielemans both back in training this week. Pau Torres in particular, that's huge news, isn't it, for Villa? Vastly important. Yeah, massively important. And <laughs> I always look at the, um, the training pictures before... Uh, the game before the presser during the week and for whatever reason they always seem to admit the players who could be back in training I presume they do that for a reason but um, Emery's only going to say it anyway in his press conference and yeah luckily Torres has been back in training Utilians as well that was good to see I was going to speak to Emery about Tielemans in our kind of um, embargoed section to kind of get more of an answer of why he's not playing in in terms of his injury has there been a setback when does he expect him to be back but um kind of killed my question because he said in the in the broadcast element which is the part at the start he was fit to play uh pretty much and that he will probably be in the squad so um yeah Tielemans and Torres both uh big boosts for Villa and you know we can't forget Tielemans was uh, one of our best players up until he got injured, played very well against City and Arsenal. Um, we definitely missed him in games against Sheffield United, Burnley. Those teams who have been um, kind of respecting us, I suppose, playing that low block. Tielemans is the player that you want on the pitch to try and unlock and, um, you know, pick holes in their defence, Brentford as well. So, uh, yeah, big boost on both Torres in particular because he's a player that will start if he's fit. Um, hopefully is fully fit to do so and Emery yeah. kind of gave no indication that he's going to face like a fitness test or anything like that which he has done previously so um, I'd expect him to be starting. Uh, another injury one very quickly Luca Dean back running after his uh, hamstring strain but not enough to be in the squad this week. Yeah really good progress from Luca Dean to be yeah, fair. He comes quickly doesn't he? He's done that a couple of times he's been yeah. out injured and comes back quicker than you expect. Hmm. Yeah, it'd be good if he didn't get injured in the first place, but um, it was a hamstring problem, wasn't it? So I think we were expecting it to be at least a month. And Emery said it would be very specific. He said about 25, 26 days a couple of weeks ago. So yeah, maybe that is kind of a literal he will return on this date. And obviously, if that's the case, he needs to be jogging about now. So um, yeah, good to see him back. Not in full training, but um, maybe next week, full training. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the players are going to have a break and and whatnot, and that will be good for rest and recuperation. So, you, I mean, touch wood, nothing happens in the Everton games and Everton game in terms of injuries. Um, but you're thinking, well, from Newcastle onwards, hopefully Villa have a fully fit squad in terms of not just players come back, but they're ready and ready to go. They're re-energised um, and everyone's playing with the kind of the full capacity again. Um, so that'll be good. Robin Olsen as well is also back as a kind of side note, obviously. Um, mm. Martinez will be playing if he's fit and Emery didn't mention anything about Martinez, so I presume he is. Um, but yeah, Olsen's back as uh, the number two. Let's absolutely flip the order of the show and do predicted 11 early doors. Do you want to run me through, what is this again? Your expectations of what Emery will do? Is that how we do this? Okay, go on then, <laughs> yeah. run me through it. It's not what I want or um, anything like that. It's what I think Emery will do. So, Emery Martinez in goal. I think he'll play that back three again, um, or that back five, however, you want, you know, the three centre-backs variation. So, Conts are right back. Carlos and Pau Torres, um, left back, obviously, Alex Moreno as well. Kamara, Douglas Louise, and then I think he'll be playing uh, McGinn off the right and Jacob Ramsey off the left, Leon Bailey and uh, Ollie Watkins up front. I think that's probably, I mean, Jacob Ramsey has been, um, you know, playing within himself, I think, recently. Well, I'd say before 
I, honestly, I think it's before his brother came on against uh, mm-hmm. Villa when he played for Burnley. I said at the time that I th- honestly, as soon as he came on, he just felt uh, confident again, and it was almost like he was playing with him in his back garden, and he wanted to kind of show off a little bit. Um, and he's got a swagger back, I think, because in the Borough game, there's a few occasions where he uh, would glide down the wing, and you know, Villa weren't at their kind of free flowing best because. Firstly, they didn't have to be, and secondly, they were playing in kind of first gear because um, you know three points went up for grabs. And I know there was a you know a place in the fourth round and a chance to win an FA Cup game for the first time in 2016. The club hasn't done that for a long time, obviously. Um, but that I think was just a good chance for Ramsey to kind of get you know minutes in his legs and um, mm-hmm. yeah get his confidence back a little bit. And I think he has. So I'm happy for him to start against Everton. Obviously, alternatively, he can play the RB. Um, and swap Megan over and have Bailey and Diaby on the right, that sort of uh, pattern of play. But yeah, that's my um, that's my eleven. I think that's probably the strongest thing we could do right now. Uh, obviously, Tillerman's coming back, Diaby on the bench. If that's the case, Duran he usually causes a bit of chaos off the bench as well if needed. So all of a sudden, Villa look pretty strong. Obviously, Zaniolo too. So yeah, a lot of depth there. Just on Jacob Ramsey specifically, obviously injured in the summer, comes back against Brighton, scores a goal, gets injured again, and disappears. Has yeah. made. Uh, appearances over the last seven or eight games. I think he started the last four. This is kind of Jacob Ramsey's pre-season, yeah. isn't it? As he goes, like he's going to take some warming yeah. up to to be out injured and just be thrown back into it. Mm. I'm not expecting him to be the player that we know he can be. And for playing as a better team, I'll expect to see a better Jacob Ramsey as time goes on. But, you know, this is effectively his July, isn't it? This is the, the latter stages of a pre-season now and, and hopefully he kicks on in the next three or four weeks. Yeah, precisely. And, Obviously, he came back and it was looking good, but I think probably mentally coming back Mm. from a a kind of recurrence of that same injury, coming back from that, you're thinking on every tackle, I don't want to do it for a third. Sorry, I swore then. You don't want to do it for a third time um, because then that derails him again for another 10 weeks. So um, there was a moment actually in the Middlesbrough game, I think, when I forgot which midfielder fouled Ramsey, but it was in the first few minutes of the game, I think, and his studs went over his over his foot and I don't know if that was the same foot I can't quite remember now obviously but I thought oh okay well he's had to that knock now and maybe sometimes you need that as a mental thing of oh okay so my, my foot isn't um, broken yeah. again <laughs> so I'm, I'm okay this time yes exactly Some I think uh, I don't know long time ago now I've read a kind of a, a psychology uh, thing about like injuries and whatnot and there was someone who said after they broke their leg they didn't want to go into tackles but then they had one like clattering tackle or something and I know it sounds a bit vague but after that they knew that their leg was strong enough to cope mm. with those things yep. so mentally you're over it then sometimes it needs that and I'm not saying it was a particularly brutal challenge but it was very similar to the one that I think it was Conte Sal the Portuguese player in the uh, England tournament the youth tournament that, that in back in the summer it was very similar kind of um tackle or foul so yeah i think it's just it's about getting back that confidence he, he seems to be fit enough now uh to play those 90 minutes as you said done started his last four he's played pretty much 90 minutes i think in two or three of those games as well so um yeah and once he's gonna get going he's um he's a fantastic footballer he's a fabulous player and there was a bit of criticism of him on twitter um recently i don't know if that's why you asked the question specifically but I think that's just football fans and it's <laughs> something to talk about. But honestly, I, you know, when he came back against Brighton, I thought, well, this is the exact player um, that we had for the back mm-hmm. end of last season that scored or had four of the five goals. He, he Sorry, he was involved in four of the five goals that we scored against Tottenham, Liverpool uh, and Brighton to get us into yeah. Europe. So we know he's a big time player. I think it was nine goal involvements in the last 11 games of last season as well. So um, he steps up. And yeah, for the age it is that as well, he's got loads of room for improvement and hopefully against Everton he can play 
and um, play well. Yeah, you mentioned uh, looking into psychology and football there. Have you ever looked into VR in football, John, or are you going to be doing that next week, maybe? <laughs> that's, a, that's a big teaser that is done. Well, I say teaser, it's, um, it's pretty obvious what we're going to be doing now. <laughs> Let's go with the opposition view now. Uh, I spoke to Joe Thomas, who comes onto the podcast for the second time this season. Now, obviously, he did the Everton preview back in August, and he uh, chatted with me earlier today, dodgy Wi-Fi and all, uh, to preview the game from an Everton perspective. Well, I went back to the last time you were on at the start of the season, obviously, when we last played. There's a lot of comments like, oh, this Everton guy's great. The Everton opposition section's really good. So by your own high standards, you've got a lot to live up to this afternoon. Uh, the first question I'm going to throw towards you is just what have you made of Everton's season so far? We're obviously past the halfway stage now. What's your overall thoughts on, on what you've seen? Yeah, good good season, really good season. Um, when, you, when you look at things properly, obviously, the points deduction, the matters off the pitch of a real concern and it's something that's going to continue to affect Everton for the rest of this season. The reality is that we enter 2024, Everton are one point clear of the relegation zone ahead of a very difficult fixture this weekend, obviously with Aston Villa and with Burnley and Luton playing each other. Now, there isn't really a way that you can look at that and go Everton aren't at this present moment in time in a relegation battle. Mm-hmm. But we do know the much wider perspective and yeah, there are some legs to obviously Everton by rights of what the players have been doing on the pitch should have another 10 points at this stage. They should be safely in mid-table. They should be 11 points from safety. This should be a January transfer window where there's no real pressure on them to do any business now. Perhaps get rid of a few fringe players, save a little bit of money on wages, get a few transfer fees for players that are about to enter the last 12 months of their contract in the summer and really just start planning towards the end of, of this season where... This summer is the big opportunity for Everton to completely reshape their squad. A lot of the more onerous contracts are remaining go, and the people that are in charge now can shape a Frankenstein squad that's been built by so many different managers and directors of football, and it's the overhang of the spending that led to the 10-point deduction in the first place, which is being challenged, and I hope that Everton will get a few points at least back from that. But yeah, if you were to look at the table, look a lot worse than it is. You know, mm. it was a difficult start to the season and, and the lowest point of the season, certainly up until Wolves just before uh, the new year, was that 4-0 defeat at, at, at Villa Park when you, know, you absolutely played Everton off the park. There's only one team in and, and I think if anything, by the time you got to 2-0 up, I, I I don't I think you took the foot off the gas. I think Everton were in such a difficult position at that moment in time. The, they couldn't even damage limit. Yeah, they can even uh, go into damage limitation mode without self-destructing. And some of those, the, the third and the fourth goals were just, mm. were just, were just really, really poor. You know, fast forward to now, and it's just phenomenal the change that we've seen. You know, for, for Everton's still got a really small squad. Deitch doesn't like to make changes, doesn't like to rotate anyway. But there's probably got about 13, 14 players that he can trust. A lot of those are players that have been in the relegation battles of recent seasons. Yet what they managed to do for October, November, the beginning of December was far beyond, I think, the the hopes and dreams of pretty much anybody who's associated with Everton Football Club. The run of fixtures, particularly the the away game. Everton lost at Spurs on December the 23rd. That was the first time they've lost outside Merseyside since that trip to Villa Park, Yeah, mm. which is just absolutely astonishing. So Deitch has overhauled the away form. He's put together a coherent team that has a one set way of playing, and when it does that, it can do so effectively. He's taken Everton to a position where by rights they should be mid-table, and that just far exceeds anybody's expectations. So really, actually, I start off by saying it's been a good season. It's probably been as good a season as it could realistically have been 
Um, and if you'd have offered anybody this after that hammer in a Villa Park, everybody would have beat your hand off for it. If you could probably say Sean Dyche was the answer to the next question, but I'll ask you for a player rather than the manager. If you had to pick a standout performer this season, someone who's done their job really well, could you pick me one individual? Yeah, absolutely. It'd be Jared Branthwaite, centre-back. And he's a centre-back that didn't play in that game at, at Villa Park. He, you know, he was... His emergence into the side was as a result of that of that performance and, and with how easily Villa picked Everton apart. You know, it marked the end of the James Tarkovsky Michael Keane partnership for the start of the season. Uh, Jared Branthwaite, young lad, came up through Carlisle, Everton picked him up in the latter eight part of his teenage years for, for a million pounds or so from Carlisle. And then he's he's flirted with the first team for a little bit, had a few games under Carlo Ancelotti. Uh, and then last season, he went on loan to PSV Eindhoven. And, and that was his kind of his breakthrough year. The 12 months from January to December 2023, he couldn't really have asked for anything better. Young centre-back, tall, about six foot five, big physical presence, also quick, reads the game well, can play with both feet. And he's, he's, your, he's your perfect centre-back, really. And, and he... He went on loan to PSV, didn't get many games first half last season. Conversation between um, Everton and PSV around this time of the year. He got into the side. Once he got into the side, he just took off, became a, a big part of the second half of their season, played in the Europa League for them, won their version, you know, won the KNVB Cup with them, went to in, went to the Euros with England under-21s in the summer. Didn't really play in that. He was a squad player, but obviously they won. Got his break into the Everton first team after the Villa game. Hasn't looked back. Started every game that he's been available for since. And the reality is that he is probably on his way to becoming a hundred million pound player next summer. Real Madrid are on. Real Madrid are one of the many clubs that are tracking him at the minute. I'm well aware of, of the kind of the intensity of, of, of the praise that I'm throwing his way, so I'm not using it lightly. But there won't be a there won't be a heavyweight in Europe that isn't looking at Jared Branthwaite right now because of everything that that he possesses. 21 year old lad, I could say, centre back who can dominate in the air and play with both feet. Had a brilliant season so far. Been a big part of Everton's resurgence. Got his head on his shoulders and um, will be pushing. I think for the England senior team in the Euros this summer. Gareth Southgate's had a little bit of a look at him. Um, you know, he found himself last summer behind the likes of, well, Taylor Harwood, Bellis and um, and one or two others, in, and Levi Colwell it was in, in the in the under-21s. Reality is he's probably leapfrogged both of them. Taylor Harwood, Bellis obviously playing in the championship with Southampton. Uh, Colwell playing for Chelsea off and on and sometimes that position. So really, he's, he probably is pushing for a squad place. He's a very, very good player that there's a lot of interest around. Um, and yeah, you want to genuinely be excited about. This won't really affect Aston Villa this weekend. It was very unlikely to, at least anyway, um, unless you sign somebody out of the blue now, effectively, to register register them in time for Sunday. But do you expect just overall Everton to do any business at all in January this, this window? Very little. Um, there isn't any money. Uh, or if there's, That's what there's I thought. Very, there's, yeah, there's, there's, there's very little money. There's a takeover that's trying to happen at the moment. American group called 777 mm. uh, having their uh, takeover bid being considered by by the regulatory bodies. That really is just down to the Premier League now. We don't know if it's going to happen, if they're going to come to a resolution this month or next month. If they come in before the transfer window, it won't make a difference. Uh, they have a, you know, it's one of these multi-club models and they have their control over several other clubs around the world. And theirs isn't a... Um, 
an approach which is we come in and we spend big on transfers. It's more they shore things up behind or try to shore things up behind the scenes. There's a lot of troubling reports about how their ownership is going to other clubs. It's a really difficult one for Everton and Everton fans to kind of get their heads around at the moment. Um, but there's uncertainty whether it gets approved or not. Like there isn't really a positive outcome, I don't think, in the short term for Everton. But yeah, no one... No one's significant. If they do bring anyone in, it'll be on a loan or a loan to, to buy. Um, that's if it's for the first team anyway. They're mm. trying to sign Hannibal Medjbury from Manchester United, but it looks like they're probably going to lose out to Sevilla on that. It's um, Villa's likely penultimate visit to Everton at Goodison Park, at least we expect, unless we get drawn in a cup game. Obviously, you move in at the end of next season uh, to the to, to the new stadium. Just as a, as a wider point, really, Everton seem much better, or they are much better on the road this season than they are at home. Why is the, the, the home form not as good? Are you expect a kind of tr- traditional stadium, good set of supporters might kind of help you? Yeah, Why is think- it that Everton are so much better on the road than they are at home? I think a lot of it has to do with the way in which Deitch sets up this Everton team. Um, you know, he is more than happy to concede a lot of possession. And Everton are in a system, Everton in a situation where even at home, they almost play like the away team. Mm. But it has different implications at home because obviously, you know, the, the, the crowd have been phenomenal the season that they always are with, with, with Everton. But obviously, there's a few more expectations on style of play and, and, and ambition at home it's it's easier to put that game plan into effect away from from home and also I think that Everton are better at teams that uh, better playing against teams that naturally want to come onto them and I think teams are more inclined to come onto them when they're playing at home and Everton are away they can kind of hit them on the break a little bit whereas obviously at, at Goodison Park you know, the games tend to be a little away sides it might not be the case with Villa because obviously Villa are flying, but you're you mid-table, you're bottom half of the, seat, of, the, of the table. Clubs tend to come to Everton and also try and play like an away side. So it, it makes it very difficult for Everton to then kind of shape a game in the way in which they want to because they want a side coming onto them. And then that way they can press them. They can try and nab the ball off them. And then it, for Everton, it's all about just directness. And not that, when I say that, I don't necessarily mean like aerial directness. It's not all route one. Mm, you know, yeah. quite a lot of it is ball on the floor and doing it. But it's Everton get the ball spring forward in big numbers and and just try and overwhelm the opposition. So, And I think that's more palatable and easier to do away from home than, than, than it is from home. For the struggle to break down sides that are happy to sit in and play them yeah. on the counter-attack, which is why... You know, you see sometimes that Villa drop points in games that you'd probably expect them to. Sheffield United at home, Forest away, teams that Villa are statistically better than but haven't been able to pick up points or we got points at Sheffield United at home. You, you beat Man City and you beat Arsenal at home and then you drop points at Sheffield United. Like, that's not the way football should work. Uh, but if teams are willing to sit in and Villa are just playing in front of them and they're defending really well, it's we found that difficult to break down and that's kind of the way I've maybe expect Sunday to go a little bit. I'll save my score prediction though, as always, till when I'm speaking with John again in a little bit. Um, but just to end this segment, what's your score prediction for the weekend? Yeah, I, I'm going to go for two each, I am. I think I don't think Everton keep a clean sheet against this Villa side. Uh, you know, so it's, it's a big game for an Everton side that is a small squad that's hit by injuries and a few other absences for different reasons at, at the minute. Uh, but it's a game they could really, really do without losing. And I mean, that sounds so obvious. For all the good work they did through October, November, early December of last year, they then went and lost four in a row before the uh, the Crystal Palace Cup game. And they could just do with just checking the negative momentum and just giving themselves a platform for 
what's going to be a, a a really a potentially tricky month for, for for Everton, where because of the points deduction, because of some of the injuries they've picked up, because of the Africa Cup of Nations, which Adrissa Gay, one of their starting players, is is out out at because they then play Fulham away, who are just Evans kryptonite um, at the minute, and then Spurs and City, you know, things could look worse before they get better for Everton, I think, and, mm. and they could really, really do with making sure that they, they get something from Sunday's game, and I think they will do. I think they're, yeah, they're, they're, they're a good side, that they they hold a lot of attacking threat when they're on it, and I, do think, I think there'll be goals. Thank you very much, Joe, for joining me. Your uh, your brace ball is in the post. The first uh, opposition to come and do two uh, previews for us. Uh, we appreciate it greatly, and I uh, wish you all the best of luck on Sunday. Let's go away from match day that now. Then the part of the show where we talk about something that isn't related to the upcoming game. I'm going to go back to Graham Press a slightly in a roundabout way because he talked about FFP, and that's what we're going to do as well. Uh, John, just give me a, a brief kind of overview of the club situation, if you like. Emery was asked about FFP and I think it's a big talking point at the moment because of the uh, Newcastle chief, mm. one of the directors, something Earls, is Darren Earls or something? Maybe I've got that wrong. Um, oh, he mentioned okay. that they're probably going to have to uh, sell one of their star assets to kind of fund their um, their window going forward. And I think for some people that came as a shock because they've had Champions League revenue, etc. The key point that can get lost sometimes is that to improve your team, obviously that's not kind of selling a player to bring one in it can be selling a player for 100 million pounds and buying two for 50 and that can dramatically improve your um your squad so um yeah emery was asked about it he didn't you know he's not going to give major detail is he and to be honest i think the detail will be more with you know monchi or maybe damian vidigani as well um the, the director of football operations who will kind of live and breathe that every day uh, whereas emery you know the reasons why those guys are in uh, uh, are at the club so Emery can have a, um, a hands-on approach obviously on the training ground uh, and we know all of that already but yeah uh, Emery basically mentioned that he wouldn't you know be against necessarily selling uh, one of his um, kind of I don't want to say key players it, it basically he mentioned that if an, a big offer came in for uh, one of his players of course the club would have to look at it kind of yeah. not just uh, a face value of this is a lot of money and uh, we can't hold a player to ransom but also you know, the FFP stuff is important. And as we know, Monchi had the decision of selling one of our major players uh, for big money in the summer, or it was selling off Cameron Archer, Aaron Ramsey, uh, Jaden Philogene, 40 million, I think it was, give or take. Obviously, buyback clauses in there in case they made a big error and Ramsey scored, you know, 20 goals. Archer was bagging in nearly 30, something for Sheffield United. Those things were never going to happen, right? But it's just having that kind of security of those uh, buyback clauses. But then next summer, yes, if you're looking to qualify for the Champions League football, and that would help, that would mean that, you know, you wouldn't have to sell one of your key players. However, if Emery sees areas in his squad that he wants to improve, as we've seen, mm-hmm. um, you know, he, he sees some things that we don't. For example, Alex Moreno instead of Luca Dean. Um, no one thought he'd be signing a left back. Uh, Pau Torres comes in. We all thought, ah, oh, this is going to um, be difficult for Pau to adapt. And yes, it was at the start, but we didn't quite realise how important he'd be. Um, oh, you know, you can't, you can't play the high line without Tyra Mings, that sort of thing. And how, how are you going <laughs> to do it with Torres? And if anything, it's probably better now. That's not uh, anything against Mings, by the way. That's just a general, you know, Villa have done it so well under Emery. Um, so there's different things that he'll, that he'll be spotting. And I don't know, uh, any player that leaves in the summer, say for big money, 
that would then be reinvested into buying two players for 50 million, as I said earlier, rather than keeping hold of one 100 million pound player. Mm-hmm. Um, again, there's no you know reason why that would definitely happen but um it's just interesting and you know you look at newcastle probably gonna have to sell one of their key players and i presume that would be like bruno gimaraish um then you're looking at well if that's the same case for louise who's going to bid for either player because i don't think two brazilian midfielders in the premier league both go for 100 million pounds in the same window because there's only so many teams that can afford that Mm, that's Um, part of the problem isn't it the, the yeah. is, it's a strained conversation because it's in my eyes it's in place to protect the traditionally big clubs to stay big clubs if you've got to sell one of your prized assets Isaac, Gimaraes, Joe Linton for Villa, Louise, Gamara, Ollie Watkins whoever it is you're talking 80, 90, 100 million there's only so many clubs that can afford to buy that so if you want to be competing in Europe with those big boys you're not only weakening yourself potentially if you don't recruit very well but you're strengthening one of those directly as well so the whole system is flawed I think the thing that makes Champions League qualification so important and this isn't we've seen with Newcastle a fast track that oh you can do what you want now because you're in the top four they spent a lot of money though the thing that's helped Villa is they sold Grealish Archer, Aaron Ramsey, Chuck Ramaker, who are all academy products, and that's pure profit much more so than Newcastle have done so that's already a big plus in their camp for Villa specifically, though, qualifying for the Champions League, and again, I'm not a financial expert by any means, but I would perceive it as if Villa get in the Champions League and secure a certain amount of revenue, maybe they can sell a Luca Dean for ten million and a Dendonka for seven million and make up the funds that way. If they don't qualify for the Champions League, maybe it is an Ezri Concert for seventy million, and that's it. So you do one big sale rather than four or five smaller ones. As you said, if Douglas Louise goes for 100 and then reinvests 70 of that into three players that make us a better team, I fully trust no one more than Unai Emery to do that job. I don't like seeing how any players sold. I'm not going to uh, endorse that by any means. But, John, if I had to ask you, which of our players could we sell? If, a, if an offer comes in of 90 million, 100 million for somebody... Who can we kind of get away with selling? How do I avoid answering this question? So my answer to that would be, well, firstly, as we said just then, there's a handful of clubs that can actually afford that level of transfer fee for any player. And then you've got to narrow down, well, what, what would they want? For example, you know, you look kind of start back to front. Emmy Martinez is the first big uh, transfer fee that Villa could get if they want. And I don't want to sell him. Emmy Martinez, let me make that clear. But there has to be a market for Emmy Martinez mm. for us to sell him in the first place. Is the one uh, possibly? I don't know because um, I haven't thought about it. <laughs> Douglas Louise is there a market for Louise? Probably, but again, you're looking at um, you know for me, Louise is a better player than Bruno Gimaraes, but uh, one of them would be more expensive than the other. Would that club go for one? And do you know what I mean? So there's a lot of um, context needed. I think if I just said one player, then you know, well, maybe a different club wouldn't want to buy them for that money. I don't know how to quite explain that. But um, the thing I'd say, though, on that would be, I don't want to kind of beat the Champions League bush again. Uh, bush? <laughs> I don't want to beat the Champions League drum again and make this about a kind of an FA Cup versus Champions League scenario. And I mean, I am, to be fair, so I'll crack on. But <laughs> Villa and Newcastle, I think we did a video similar to this a while ago and had a bit of a rant. And uh, I'm not educating anyone. People are much more educated on me about this sort of stuff. I know that for a fact. But... My point is that we are so far away in terms of revenue from the big six. And when we say big six, we don't mean traditional or anything like that. It's just revenue. Mm-hmm. Um, the revenue big six, they're, they're a million miles ahead of Villa at the moment. We've been in the Premier League for 
you know a few years now and yes we were always one before but we we got relegated at the wrong time and yeah. um we missed out on a lot <laughs> we really did and those clubs gained a lot you know tottenham have moved into arguably the best stadium in um you know in terms of how it looks and what you can do with it in the world they're in london stuff like that west ham as well uh it's not the best stadium of course but they're in london they're in a good catchment that stuff they're not in the big six but m- my point is that villa have to make up for lost time and they have to do that by getting in revenue somehow like we're seeing different things like the uh Ataros deal you know that that partnership that uh, was announced about a month or two ago now adidas obviously is big for us mm. um, all those things and this is why chris heck has a massive job as well um you know fans will pick out things like uh the crest and different bits and they're right to do so because it's their football club but there'll be a lot of stuff as well that he is doing uh, behind the scenes with Sawiris, with, with Edens, because they know what a challenge it's going to be financially to take Villa to the next level. Because it's a massive step. It's a step that you just can't do inside a year or two. It's a, it's a gradual thing. And that's why Villa needs to be competing for Champions League football and playing in it and getting that revenue for years and years. It's not just a, you know, we qualify for this year and we're sound and we can spend 200 million and we'll always be safe. It's not that. Um, there's a lot of risk for us. Uh, whereas for uh, Chelsea, for example, they can spend a billion quid and, you know, they can not really worry about FFP too much yet anyway. They will have to later down the line if they don't get Champions League in the next three, four, five years, something like that. Um, but for Villa, they're always going to have to kind of, you know, sell off, then buy new players. It's it's, it's relentless for Villa is probably the word I would use if you get in there. You've yeah, got to keep yeah. getting in there for several amount of yeah. years. Newcastle aren't, well, I don't believe anyone Newcastle will be in the Champions League next season. They're getting it once and then not being it again, and then maybe in it, and then maybe not. It's not how it needs to be done. You've got to be in there every year, year after year, trying to keep hold of your best players. Maybe you do sign again in theory, Douglas Luiz for fifteen and sell him for a hundred three or four years later. That is the the model, I guess. I don't want to get too bogged down in this because I can already envision the comments oh, of yeah, like, "Are yeah. oh, you trying to sell our players?" And no, it's realism. But it is, yeah. It's a thing that if Villa again, while we keep banging on about the Champions League, if you don't do that consistently over the course of a few years. These conversations have to happen. Villa will have to sell players to keep progressing. We're in kind of the most capable hands this club has been in for a long time. Yeah. If we have to sell, you know, our top players, okay, so be it. So as say, as you mentioned, Dan, the recruitment team that we've got at the moment and the Emery's, um, he knows exactly what he wants and what is going to benefit the club. I trust them to make use of that money. And do you know what I mean? It, the greatest thing was different because firstly, he was Jack Grealish and he was Boyard fan and he was, you know, local, et cetera, et cetera. But it was also, mm-hmm. we weren't, particularly great and yeah we were like almost mid-table but the thought of losing Grealish was like oh you know crap what's going to happen next but now if we were to sell one of our best players like don't get me wrong if we sold Emi Martinez for example I think that would be difficult because we've got to really make sure that's the right goalkeeper that we purchase but if he was maybe an outfielder uh, I don't want to name names but if it was a player then I'm, I'm just confident Emery would be able to plug whatever hole that is because as I said in the last year how long has he been in now uh 13 months, months, we've seen him make changes that I just weren't expecting. Like, Mm. as I say, the back three thing, the Pau Torres signing from you, Alex Moreno, um, playing as a winger when he's a fullback. It's just, there's a lot going on. Um, And that's why I'm not going to lose sleep if we had to sell one of our star assets, because especially now we know how much that will, or we know how important it could be. to where Villa are trying to go in the next five to ten years. Yeah. That's just the reality of it. And it is annoying because those top six clubs, those big six clubs, uh, 
kind of get away with it. As we say, we're not financial experts. I think we've had enough chat about uh, money and FFP and selling players. And if people don't like that conversation, I understand it. But it's going to happen at some point. It's going to rear its ugly head once again. A player will leave Aston Villa at some point for big money and and we'll have to recruit uh, to replace them. That's football. Let's move on then to the final part of the show. Predictions for Sunday. Uh, just to recap actually where we are for the all the predictions we did in the first half of the season in 2023. I have 20 points. You have 16 points. So I'm in the lead, but only by a little bit. Uh, just a reminder, if you predict Villa to win and they win, you get one point. If you predict Villa to win 2-0 and they win 2-0, you get three points for the correct score. Um, so John, what are you going with this Sunday? Go with a 2-1 Villa win. Oh, okay, that's what I was going to go with. So I'll change it. Do one for John. Do you want to go with the goal scorers, or don't get any bonus points for that? Jesus. Uh, <laughs> Watkins double. Okay, nice. I'll read a few comments from social media. Obviously, we're not doing this live, so I tweeted earlier to ask for some score predictions. Two one Villa, McGinn and Watkins. Uh, a tight two one with Zaniolo and Bailey. Three uh, one Villa, Diaby masterclass. It doesn't start this weekend, according to John Townley. Three uh, one Villa, Watkins, Brace and Bailey. Three nil, three one, three nil, one all, um, and two nil Villa. So no one predicting Villa to lose this week, and rightly so. Neither am I. I don't think I've done that all season. Uh, I was going to go 2-1 because I think it'll be tight. Joe said 2-2. I'll go 1-0 Villa, which I don't fully see happening, but just to be different. 1-0 Villa for me, clean sheet. Was, um, yeah, fair enough. I was just going to say, there's there was a comment that Emery said in the press conference that kind of summed up where I think Villa's away performances and their kind of form is at. I think they've won two out of six away from home now, Villa, in their last six, obviously, league games. Um, and he said something along the lines of, it wouldn't be a surprise if we won... But then it also wouldn't be so. No, I'm. If I said this, it was kind of stupid. <laughs> I'm going to do this now. He said basically. He, he said people wouldn't be surprised if Villa won the game. But then if Everton won, it wouldn't be surprised either. It, it's it was much better than that. But it was along those lines. <laughs> yeah, a good discussion there on Villa's returning players, uh, FFP, and if they play well, they might win. If they don't play well, they might lose. And if they both yeah. play okay, it could be a draw. John, who who knows? This just, is just just struggle. <laughs> um, John, I'll, as, hopefully my Wi-Fi has been holding up okay. I think the audio at least has been okay. Visuals may be a little bit blurry at times. Who knows? We'll find out when I'm editing this later. Uh, John, can you do the honors and do the outro for me to save me talking? Any further thanks for watching everyone and make sure you subscribe to claret and blue we'll be back for a post-match show i think on sunday night with dan and don't know yet don't know yet great but make sure to tune in and please leave a like rating and leave us a review on apple yeah good apple itunes um and yeah up the villa lovely stuff cheers john thanks everyone we'll see you soon 